Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back, everyone, to Patriot Coalition Live. I'm Jason Rocheck. Thanks for joining us today. Our goal is to create a timeless resource to teach about the U.S. Constitution and the proper role of government, the importance of America's Judeo-Christian heritage, and how to defend against threats to our republic. But before we get into today's topic, I want to talk to you about something that you can do today to begin rooting out the major sources of corruption in America. This source of corruption is what we call the three-headed beast, which is mainstream media, big tech, and big business. These mega corporations are actively undermining our liberties through censorship, canceling, and destroying livelihoods because they don't like dissent. And they don't like people who share truths which threaten their power. So earlier this year, as you well know, Google, Apple, and Amazon Web Services, all of them canceled Parler or stopped giving access to Parler in one form or fashion. Well, social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, they regularly suspend accounts when they don't like their posts. So why continue to send your money to Amazon when they are canceling and censoring these, these types of posts and those who stand up for liberty? When you can just spend your hard-earned money with freedom-loving companies who share your values and your principles. Companies like conservativeeconomy.com. Conservativeeconomy.com has tons of companies to shop from with over 3,600 categories of products. So chances are you're going to find what you're looking for at conservativeeconomy.com. If you shop at a business that you love and you think that business would be a great fit at conservativeeconomy.com, well, go to our contact page and let us know. Or if you own a business, go to the sell here link at conservativeeconomy.com and tell us about your business. Again, that website is conservativeeconomy.com. Please check us out today. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is entitled Article 1, Section 9, The Powers Denied to Congress. And this is part two. So as a quick review, Article 1 is all about Congress. Article 1, Section 9 describes the powers that are specifically denied to Congress. And today we are talking about clauses two and three of Article 9, which concerns the writ of habeas corpus, bills of attainer, and ex post facto laws. Okay, so let's get into the, the first clause that we're talking about here, and that's clause two. In it, the, the Constitution says this, quote, the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. So, what, first of all, what is habeas corpus? So habeas corpus essentially, in a, a very um, uh, layman's translation, means show the body or produce the body, meaning that of a, a prisoner. And essentially, if a government entity has someone detained or imprisoned, a writ or an order is what a writ is. A writ of habeas corpus means that the, the, the entity, the government entity, must produce the, the detainee and then justify under what legal authority they are detained. 
So it's basically, a, it's a check on the authority of the government to just lock anybody up that they decide that they want to. So the, the writ of habeas corpus ensures that if, if a judge orders it, the, the body, the entity that is detaining that individual has to produce the body and say under what authority that they are being detained. Okay, so the, the writ of habeas corpus actually dates back uh, at least as far as the Magna Carta. Uh, in the Magna Carta, we talked about this uh, many episodes ago, uh, obviously a, a document, a charter, if you will, that uh, the English free people said, you know, no longer are we just going to be uh, simply subjects that have to do the will of the king under all circumstances, even, you know, tyranny and slavery. We have some human rights some God-given human rights that have to be observed. And in this list of, of uh, rights in the Magna Carta, this charter, uh, one of them that deals with uh, as closely as possible to the writ of habeas corpus says this. And again, this is from the Magna Carta. It says, and translated, no legal officer shall start proceedings against anyone on his own mere say-so without reliable witnesses having been brought for the purpose. In other words, you can't just you know, start uh, legal proceedings or detain somebody just because, you know, you say, yep, he, he committed a crime. Uh, there has to be some sort of just cause for doing that. And that's uh, essentially what turned into the writ of habeas corpus, which has been used in England in common law uh, since that time. Now, uh, an interesting thing to note, so despite the popular belief that martial law is codified somewhere in the constitution, uh, it, it, this is untrue, right? Martial law is not called out specifically in the Constitution. But the writ of habeas corpus is the closest the Constitution comes to discussing martial law. Now, why is that? Well, uh, first, let's talk about martial law. What is it? So martial law essentially describes when a civilian government and, and civil law is suspended for some period of time. And then the direct control is assumed by the military forces. So, okay, so, you know, all you, all you people in the civil government, you know, it's, it's interesting what you're doing and all those laws that you have. But right now the military is in control and we're going to um, enact whatever force is necessary in order to, to uh, accomplish our objective, right? Obviously, there's a reason why we separate those two things. But martial law is basically when the military forces come to, to um, into dominance and the civilian government and the civilian law is suspended for some period of time. So under martial law, the military uh, can essentially detain or arrest anyone without any oversight by civilian authorities. Uh, they, they're just not subject to them. So this is why the suspension of habeas corpus is often most thought of as martial law, because essentially when you are detained by somebody in the military who doesn't have to bring you before a judge, um, that's essentially taking your civil liberties away, at least one major one. But even when habeas corpus is suspended, you know, all other laws, I mean, habeas corpus just deals with the concept that you can't detain somebody without just cause. And if called out for it, you have to uh, defend that just cause to a judge. So that's only one part of civil government, you know, one of the civil rights that we enjoy. So when even when habeas corpus is suspended, all over other civil laws and rights are still meant to be observed. And so this is the distinction, at least in the Constitution. Um, it's, you know, it's why, not why, but because martial law is not called out for, and we are only talking in the Constitution about suspending habeas corpus, that's only one of many, right? It's not just a blanket 
hey, the government is suspended for as long as we want it to. So even though it's only that one right that is being uh, suspended, it, it can almost seem like a distinction without a difference. Uh, because when a tyrannical government suspends habeas corpus because the military authorities can arrest anyone for exercising their fundamental civil liberties, right? If I'm speaking freely, if I'm saying, hey, you know, you, um, you soldiers over there, you shouldn't be doing that. And they say, you know what? We don't like that you are rousing up a crowd and we're gonna arrest you. Or, you know, I'm, you know, carrying a gun around. Um, you know, I'm gonna arrest you. Whatever it happens to be, I'm gonna arrest you. As a, and if I were in the, um, if I were executing martial law. And I wouldn't have to be, I wouldn't have to defend that to a judge if I were to arrest somebody, right? So even though we're only suspending habeas corpus, um, if I can arrest anybody for any crime that I think is bad, if I'm if I'm Private Snuffy on the street and I say, you know what, I'm going to arrest that person, or even you know Lieutenant Dan on the street and say, you know what, Private, go arrest that person. You know, I don't like the way he's looking at me. It doesn't matter that it's just one law that is or, or one right that is being suspended, because at that point they can do whatever they want. They can just arrest anybody for any reason. And it's no longer just one law. So that is why this is such an important uh, concept in uh, in constitutional, it, you know, in the way that we do our constitutional republic. Okay. Um, now, it, there's some interesting quotes. I'm going to uh, read a couple of quotes from the uh, both the Constitutional Convention that come out of the the debates and the journal there, as well as some of the uh, debates and reports that are given to uh, state legislatures. Right. So this whole concept of the the writ of habeas corpus in the Constitution was introduced by uh, Charles Pinckney. OK, and he and this is what his proposal read in the Constitutional Convention, quote, the privileges and benefit of the writ of habeas corpus shall be enjoyed in this government in the most expeditious and ample manner, and shall not be suspended by the legislature except upon the most urgent and pressing occasions and for a limited time, not exceeding months. Uh, and, and in there, there was a blank that said he didn't know exactly how many months everyone would agree on, but he, he listed a blank for months. Continuing now, if you, um, so, and, and that's really the end of it, right? So the privileges and benefit of the writ of habeas corpus shall be enjoyed in this government in the most expeditious and ample manner and shall not be suspended by the legislature except upon the most urgent and pressing occasions and for a limited time not exceeding blank months. Okay, so keep that in mind that initially he's talking about the legislature may suspend it because um, we're going to talk about that. The Remember, we are in Article 1 and in the way that the, the framers laid out the Constitution, they laid it out by branch of government for the most part, right? The first three articles, Article 1 is for the legislature, Article 2 is for the executive, Article 3 is for the judiciary, and then we have some other ones. But they break it down in, in, in terms of the, uh, the context of what they're talking about. So if the privilege of writ of habeas corpus is, shall be enjoyed and cannot be suspended, um, the implication there is that the only, because it's in Article 1 and it's talking about the, the powers that are denied to Congress, uh, it, it is implied, and that is the intent of the Constitution, that only the legislature, Congress, uh, can suspend that. Okay, so then now let's talk about the 
um, there's a couple other a couple other quotes, and, and these happen in the the not the de debates, but the testimony that is given by some of the delegates to the Constitutional Convention, and one in particular, Luther Martin was a, um, a strong advocate of the the privilege of writ of habeas corpus, and he both testifies to the general legislature in Maryland, as well as he provides them a written um, a written document, a written testimony to them. And, and this is what his written testimony says. Again, this is Luther Martin, a delegate from Maryland to the Constitutional Convention. He says, as the state governments have a power of suspending the Habeas Corpus Act in those cases, it was said there could be no reason for giving such a power to the general government, since whenever the state which is invaded uh, or in which an insurrection takes place, remember those are the conditions upon which Habeas Corpus can be suspended. He goes on to say, uh, since whenever the state which is invaded or in which an insurrection takes place finds its safety requires it, it will make use of that power, meaning the power of habeas, uh, suspending the habeas corpus. And it was urged, he says, that if we gave this power to the general government, it would be an engine of oppression in its hands. Since whenever a state should oppose its views, however arbitrary and unconstitutional, and refuse submission to them, the general government may declare it to be an act of rebellion and suspending the Habeas Corpus Act may seize upon the persons of those advocates of freedom who have had virtue and resolution enough to excite the opposition and may imprison them during its pleasure in the most remotest parts of the union so that a citizen of Georgia might be bastilled in the furthest part of New Hampshire or a citizen of New Hampshire in the farthest extreme to the South, cut off from their family, their friends, and their every connection. These considerations induced me, sir, to give my negative also to this clause. So Luther Martin here is, is saying that he was not uh, for the ability to suspend uh, habeas corpus. Uh, he wanted to keep it inviolable. I mean, you, you know, you cannot suspend it at all. Um, and he was saying that, look, if there's invasion in the states, which again is one of the conditions upon which the privilege of habeas corpus can be suspended. He said, if one of the states is invaded, they're going to do whatever they can to, or if there's a rebellion, to quell that rebellion. But if we give that power to the general government, meaning the federal government, now anytime someone is acts contrary to what the, the federal government is doing, or they speak negatively about it, they can just say, hey, that's insurrection. We're going to arrest you. We're going to suspend habeas corpus, and we're going to keep you indefinitely in some remote uh, black site, if you will, to bring it into the common vernacular of today. And he was the big fan of that. So that was in his written testimony to Maryland. Then when he testifies in person to the Maryland House, he says this, quote, nothing could add to the mischievous tendency of this system, meaning the Constitution, more than the power that is given to suspend the act of habeas corpus. Those who could not approve of it urged that the power over the habeas corpus ought not to be under the influence of the general government. It would give them a power over citizens of the particular states who should oppose their encroachments. And the inferior jurisdictions of the respective states were fully competent to judge on this important privilege. But the almighty power of deciding by a call for the question, meaning the, when they called it for a vote in the Constitutional Convention, silenced all opposition to the measure as it too frequently did to many others. So he's kind of taken a shot at, at, at some of the way that the Constitutional Convention was run. He thought that a lot of opposition was silenced because people called the question, meaning 
said, okay, let's take a vote on it before all the discussion was had. Uh, but again, he is, he is reiterating that, look, the states are, should have this power. They can, in, they can enforce it. And the general government, uh, because they are liable to, um, again, call out somebody for, oh, you know what? They don't like the fact that we are exercising our power. And so um, the general government's going to say, yep, that's an insurrection. We're going to suspend habeas corpus and then start locking people up. So he was afraid that that might happen. Okay, so that covers clause two of section nine in article one, uh, and that is the, uh, the power to suspend the writ of habeas corpus. But again, only uh, when it comes to uh, cases of rebellion or invasion, um, that the public safety, in order to keep the public safe, has to require it. But only in those two cases, uh, rebellion or invasion, it cannot be suspended for any other reason. And when it is suspended, it has to be done by the um, the Congress. It can't just be done by a president. I know that may surprise some of you. Okay, so let's talk about uh, Clause 3, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 3, which reads, quote, no bill of attainer or ex post facto law shall be passed. So this is pretty short and sweet, but like the uh, writ of habeas corpus, this one, um, all of these are kind of uh, bills of, I'm sorry, not bills, but terms of art, right? That unless you either have studied this or, or gone to look them up, they're not as familiar uh, to us today. So um, let me back up just a, a bit. We have mentioned many times on this podcast that giving legislatures, any legislature, the power to create laws that we must all then live by is a solemn authority, but it can be abused as well, right? If a legislature can create any law that it wants, what would stop the, that legislature from bypassing the courts and declaring the names and punishments you know, of political opponents to be carried out by the government, right? So normally we're accustomed to, okay, um, you know, th this, this person broke a law, now he's gonna go before a judge or magistrate and a jury of his peers is gonna decide whether he is guilty or not guilty. And, that, and that's normally the way it happens. But that's because that's what the, the legislature has, um, that's what they have passed in the law in order to, to regulate the process. Uh, it's in some constitutions as well, right? But what would stop a legislature from just calling out to a, a group of people and saying that group of people is guilty of something, we don't need the courts and we're gonna define the punishment in this law. Well, that's where a bill of attainer comes into play. So what is a bill of attainer? A bill of attainer is essentially it's a legislative bill which specifically assigns guilt to a person or a group of people without the benefit of a trial by jury. And in some cases for crimes which are not already specified in the statutes. So they just create new crimes and say those people are guilty of them in the bill, in the text of the law itself. So bills of attainer, they also could reach those who are not even living, right? So, um, you know, people who've already passed away, who have property, people who aren't even born yet, like, uh, you know, your descendants, they can call out and reach out and, and blame those people as well uh, for a crime in order to strip them of life, liberty, or property, right? Maybe, you know, if I did something that the government didn't like, and anybody who knows me has interacted with me on social media, or my family members, they say that they're guilty as well. Uh, or anybody who is born of my my line, right? So pretty scary stuff. Well, that's what a bill of attainer is. And that is why 
this is one of the things that the Constitution prohibits. It says no bill of attainer or ex post facto law shall be passed. So here, here's the example, and I kind of, you know, alluded to it. So imagine, um, you know, somebody like you or me who's uh, maybe active on social media and um, is opposed to a lot of the overstepping of the federal government or your state government in some cases. And they come in and say, you know what? Um, we're going to go look through so, uh, social media for all the constitutional originalists, you know, people who believe that the Constitution means what it says when it was written in the context that it was written. And we're going to find all those people who are advocating for that. We're going to list them out by name in a new bill. And we're going to say that all of these people um, must be summarily executed, right? Maybe an extreme case, but it illustrates the purposes of a bill of attainer. It's, you know, it, you, can, you can essentially call out your political opponents, um, bypass the courts, and just say they are guilty and they shall be executed. If the law says they have to be executed on site, and it's a list of, of names, if we have to obey the law, then that is one of those laws. And we've talked about that before, right? Just because you give somebody the ability to make laws doesn't mean that they're gonna make moral or just laws. It just means that they have the ability to make laws. And so, you know, the, the prohibition against S, uh, ex post facto laws and bills of attainer, like we're talking about now, uh, is one way to keep them within those guardrails. Okay, so what about an ex post facto law? Because this clause also says no bill of attainer or ex post facto law shall be passed. So what if a, the balance of power in a legislature changed such that the laws that uh, one party wanted couldn't be passed in the past, but were now likely to pass in the present because they're in control? If they, they said, you know, we couldn't get these passed because the other party was in control. We really wanted them passed. Didn't happen. But now we're going to pass these things. Now, could the legislature simply make illegal all those things which were once permitted and then go back and prosecute all those people who were exercising those freedoms in the past? Well, that's what ex post facto laws do. It's essentially a law that is passed, which makes previous actions a crime and, and still punishable today. So it's like going back in time and saying, you know, I know it was legal then, but now we're passing a law that says it's always been illegal and we're going to punish you for it. <laughs> this is truly scary stuff. So and the, and the the example that I would use is gun ownership, right? You know, there's a lot of, of people who would like to get their hands on our, our guns. Um, and, you know, an ex post facto law would be, you know, a current legislature saying, you know what, gun ownership has and always was illegal by private citizens. And anyone who uh, has owned one, there's evidence that they've owned one or they own one now, uh, they will be prosecuted, whatever that prosecution looks like. So it's funny because in the, in the uh, debates in the Constitutional Convention, prohibition against this was it was almost frowned upon because they thought that this was so obvious that this shouldn't happen by a legislature, they almost didn't include it. Uh, and then other people pointed out that some of the states actually attempted to pass ex post facto laws um, just prior to the Constitutional Convention. And so, uh, you know, other people brought up the fact that other delegates brought up the fact that uh, other nations would think us if we tried to institute this law in our Constitution, this prohibition, that they would think us so ignorant of what legislatures can and can't do. Because again, it was thought to be obvious that you can't go back and make previous things illegal in the past. So um, the, the, 
that really covers it for today, right? So just two clauses, but there's a lot of in lot in there. There's these all these terms of art, you know, writ of habeas corpus, bill of attainer, ex post facto laws, right? These things, if you haven't heard them, or maybe you've heard them but you didn't know what they were, um, that's what today was all about—to introduce you to them, to uh, to help you to understand them. And, and these terms of art stem from the common law uh, going back into England, and we're there to guard against our God, you know, guard guard our God-given liberties, specifically from the government abuse, right? Uh, it was, they were almost part of what I call kind of the Bill of Rights 1.0. Before, you know, remember the, the Constitution was drafted in 1787. Uh, it was ratified in 1789 by nine of the 13 states. Um, and then the Bill of Rights didn't come along until uh, 1791. Right. So it was two years after the Constitution was was written that the Bill of Rights, which protects all of our or not all of them, but many of our individual rights was written. Well, in the Constitution, there was protections against the, you know, the uh, uh, protections for our individual rights as well. Uh, That's why I jokingly refer to as the Bill of Rights 1.0, because these three things, for example, writ of habeas corpus, you know, which, again, is the uh, requirement for a government entity to produce a prisoner, a detainee, and justify when he's held them and why he has held them, justify the cause. That's the writ of habeas corpus that protects our individual liberties from just being snatched up and sent to a black site, right? The bill of attainer, you know, saying that, um, you know what, we don't need the courts. The legislature already knows all these lists of people are guilty, and we're going to write their names into the law that says, you know, upon, um, you know, when any agent of the the government comes across these individuals named below, they are to be summarily executed as an example. Uh, We don't need a jury, we don't need a judge or any due process, you can just execute them. That is a bill of attainer. It essentially attains people with the the law and says, hey, they've broken the law. And it says that specifically in the text. That's the bill of attainer. And then the ex post facto laws essentially is um, what we did yesterday that was perfectly legal, you know, tomorrow when uh, they pass a law that says, hey, when you did that yesterday, it was illegal and we're going to prosecute for it. Um, Just defies common sense, but is again, something that uh, um, our framers thankfully thought to include in the protections uh, in the constitution. And remember, the constitution, it is not uh, there to um, grant all powers to government it is there to grant specific powers to government and to prevent them from taking specific authorities. And those are called out. Okay, so that covers it for today. That is Article One, Section Nine, Clauses Two and Three. So hopefully that helps you understand, you know, what these terms have meant, these terms of art, and uh, helps you kind of apply it to why that they're so important. Um, and thankfully, we do have the Bill of Rights that came, you know, after that and uh, solidified many of these as well as um, preserved new ones. So that's it. So if you are not already a regular subscriber, we uh, ask you, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts at places like iHeartRadio and Spotify. And if you uh, are looking to support us, you can support us by going to Patriot Coalition Live slash support and you can uh, you know, give us your financial support there. So that covers it. Again, thanks for tuning in and listening. And uh, we will see you here next time, gang. Take care.